all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We also want to thank Eisenhower Center. It's a brain injury recovery center. Learn more about eisenhowercenter.com. They're located in Michigan and in Florida. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. Contact us if you'd like to be a sponsor on Veterans Radio, and let's move on to our program. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today Dr. Laura Purdy, an Army veteran, a medical doctor, and somebody who's an expert in telemedicine that we're going to talk uh, on that subject on. Uh, Dr. Purdy, welcome to Veterans Radio. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and spend some time with you today. Well, Laura, let's start with this. Um, I know that you're a graduate of Ball State University uh, in uh, 2005. That's where you got your bachelor's. You went on and got your MD from the Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences. Uh, You picked up in, in 2011, you picked up a master's or an MBA at Southern New Hampshire University in 2020. But how did a nice girl like you end up at uh, uh, getting her MD through the uniform services uh, uh, <laughs> program? Yes. So I, I graduated college in 2005. And at that time, the war was, it was relatively young. And I'm sure you remember back in those days, that was all you could see anytime you turned on the TV America was very patriotic. There were yellow ribbons everywhere on the trees, on the cars, those little magnet, you know, yellow ribbons. And so it was a very patriotic time. And so it it honestly seemed like a natural next step. But I'll be honest with you, my my dad, um, he said, well, you know, grad, grad school is all yours. And I was getting all those flyers in my mailbox from Air Force, Army. Navy. And I said, well, you know, I think it looks like the military is looking for doctors and um, it seems like the right thing to do. And I really did want to, I wanted to be a part of what was going on. Um, I wanted to contribute and I really had a strong desire to be able to help. And so that's, 
that's how it happened. Well, and I don't know that we've ever had a doctor on who went through this program with Uniformed Services University before. Can you tell us a little bit about it and how the training goes and where you go for training and all those other doctorly sort of things? <laughs> Absolutely. I may be biased, but I, I think we get the best education in the country. I'll admit I'm biased. Um, but the first thing that you do is basic training. And I understand it is doctor, officer, basic training. So it's, it's a, we'll say like diet basic training or light basic training, but it, it was in Camp Bullis, Texas in the middle of July. So at least we know the, the weather was tough, but so you go to, to basic training. And at that time, this was back in the day when they were doing the roll one, roll two, roll three. And that was kind of how they were characterizing um, healthcare. So before I even took a medical class a day in my life, I learned how to set up a, a roll one and do self-aid, buddy aid, triage, LDs, um, how to do the, if you remember the dime, delayed, intermediate, they taught us all that before we ever had a class in school. And from the day you show up, you're a, a little butter bar. Everybody accesses as a second lieutenant and all the professors are all active duty and it's multi-service. So you're, you're constantly just inundated and all the staff is NCOs, all the cadre, the, the teachers. And, and we also had a, a company. So we had a company commander, we had a company first sergeant. And so the structure is very similar to what you have in a unit as well. And so throughout the entire education, we had all the same classes as every medical school in the country, but we also had military emergency medicine. We took CLS classes. We all became combat lifesavers. And in the summer, we didn't take a break. We did training. So like my first summer, I actually went down to Fort Rucker and um, rode around with some instructor pilots and intended, attended pilots captain career course. So uh, it was a lot of fun. And then with, with, at, even more, uh, with even more glamorous weather. With even more glamorous, it was wonderful in, in the, the illustrious Fort Rucker, Alabama, once in a lifetime experience. <laughs> um, and so you, so, and then additionally, all of the hospitals that you work at, unless there's an exception to that rule is military hospitals. So I worked at Walter Reed back before it was um, kind of torn down and moved over to Bethesda. I was working in the original Walter Reed. I also worked in Bethesda uh, Port Smith Navy Hospital. I work at Lackland before it, it transitioned over to San Antonio. I worked at the, the, all the San Antonio hospitals. Uh, it's kind of fun because you get to travel all over the country working in military joint service hospitals. And then, of course, you have a big exercise where you go to the field and do combat casualty care and TC3 before you can graduate. And so I, I honestly think it is a it was an incredible experience and totally unique to anything else in the in the country. Well, it's a you. It is a unique experience. Uh, I think many people don't realize that that's available if you want to go into the medical field. Uh, the military has all kinds of programs, whether it be from medic to nurse to even doctors. Uh, they'll train you up. Now, obviously, you have a service commitment as a result of that, and you spent 14 years, I believe. Uh, with the uh, U.S. Army. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, that time in the Army. Absolutely. And, and I'll say, to your point, of there's a, there's a lot of career options. 
over the years, I've had the opportunity to mentor several folks, young and less young, that are thinking about it. If you're thinking about a career in military medicine, I say do it. I say do it because if you're thinking about it, then then you should you should do it. So um, it, it was fantastic, and I think the military affords opportunities much earlier in the career. That's one of the one of the best parts is that. As a young captain, you're going to be put in a leadership position because that's how it works. As a major, you may be in a department head position. And and the same thing works for nurses, physical therapists. It's not just doctors that get more opportunities in healthcare because they're in the military. It's across the board. Um, Psychologists, therapists, everybody has more opportunities. But it was it was a it was an exciting 14 years because as a healthcare provider, whether you're a nurse practitioner, a PA, physical therapist, even veterinarian, there's opportunities to work in a hospital and have a more traditional practice, but you can also have what they call operational positions. And my first job out of residency, I was actually the battalion surgeon for the 91st Civil Affairs Battalion. So I left residency, which was at Fort Benning. So it was a military residency. And I, I had an operational assignment. So I was training medics, running around in the field, uh, developing protocols on a commander's staff. And that was a fantastic experience that physicians in the, I'm going to say in a real world, in the non-military world, they just don't get that, that type of experience. And so the, ver- the variety of options is, is incredible. So being put in that position right out of residency was one of the most defining moments in my entire career. It was incredible. And well, so, as, as you say, it sort of rockets your um, career path in terms of leadership and responsibilities and everything else. It just sort of puts it into overdrive. Yes. I was immediately briefing lieutenant colonels around the small table as the battalion surgeon, as a brand new captain right out of residency. It was, it was, it was a great experience. Well, we could probably, a lot. yeah, we could probably talk all uh, through the whole pro interview on this aspect, but I want to, I want to get to this whole, another area that's just sort of exploded or rocketed in the last year. And, and that's telehealth. And since you got out of the army, you've been uh, involved in a couple of uh, uh, interesting things and, and certainly, uh, being a veteran and uh, your husband's a veteran, um, you've been involved with the VA, and, and you're also involved with something called MD Integrations, which we're going to talk about in a bit, but it has that connection or overlap to, to telehealth. So as your career has moved on and as you've seen certainly what went on last year, um, telehealth, uh, which you know was kind of a dirty word before, it was like less than regular health, has really become on, on the front line of providing medicine to people. I've got a statistic here that prior to the pandemic, VA was doing 40,000 telehealth appointments a month across the country. Now they're doing 40,000 appointments a day across the country. I mean, it's a, just an explosion of the use of this technology to deliver medicine 
uh, not only to uh, rural areas, but every um, VA hospital is now involved in, in telehealth appointments. As you look at this, as you know, you're riding this wave. Um, talk to us a little bit about the timeliness of, or, or the, or the um, uh, just happenstance maybe of the pandemic and medicine and technology kind of all coming together to allow this to happen. Absolutely. So the interesting thing about it is that the technology has has always it's been there i would say for the last 10 to 15 years but adoption or i would say you're right it has been somewhat of a dirty word and not considered as legitimate as going and sitting down in person or maybe it just it wasn't an option from the healthcare provider standpoint and so the technology has been ready but changing the habits and changing the practices, not only of, of the people, of the veterans or of the Americans or of the patients that are using the telehealth is one thing. Changing the habits of the doctors is another thing. And, and I think the pandemic put people in a really tough situation, obviously, and they had to find a way to solve these problems of access to care, of how to get healthcare and how to give healthcare when we couldn't do it in person, unless you were you know, in the hospital or something like that. And so I, I think that what has happened is that the technology, which was already there, right? 40,000 visits a year tells us that the tech was there. It just wasn't being used to its full capacity. I think that it's really gaining a lot of momentum from the doctor side, as well as from the patient side. And people are starting to think, oh, I need a refill on my blood pressure medicine. I don't have to wait four months for an appointment to go see my doctor to go get a refill for my blood pressure medicine that I've taken for 15 years and nothing's going to change. You can actually get that done pretty quickly and easily and without a lot of expense financially online. And it's it's revolutionary and people love it. As you say, the technology has been around for maybe a decade but it's been slow for both sides of the equation to adapt. But as a physician and as somebody who understands the technology, Dr. Purdy, do you, do you think that we're going to slip back? Is, is this going to fade away? Are we going to go back um, and use less of this, or are we going to use more telehealth on, on a going forward basis? That's a great question. I think, I think it will continue to move forward. And the reason why I think that is because we're talking about, I'm going to use some business terms, right? Supply and demand. As doctors have started using more virtual visits, it's not that they have less clinic appointments. It's that those clinic appointments are being used for things that can't be done over the phone. So I think if we tried to move and consequently, the patients are now realizing that some of the hurdles, they used to have to jump through in the past to get basic, simple, uncomplicated healthcare needs met. Those hurdles are gone and it's become a simpler, easier process. And I think trying to move, move backwards would be the patients wouldn't tolerate it because now they've seen how good it can be. And I think doctors and healthcare clinics wouldn't have the capacity to try and bring all of those visits back into the doors 
I just don't think the the supply and demand of time would would work. I'm wondering though, you know, when when we look at that VA statistic, and they're doing about a million telehealth appointments uh, a month um, across the country. Is there enough data yet, uh, Dr. Purdy, to understand what the outcomes are? I mean, is this as good as or better than? Is it just a time saver and a quick, but it, you get crummy results? I mean, is is there enough uh, data and analysis of data to tell us, yeah, this is even good medicine? Another good question. I've there got I got a lot of good questions. Time. I just need good answers. That's you all. You have great questions. <laughs> so this is this is my response because I get that question a lot actually, and my response to that is is this. So as one of my roles now is a manager of managers, right? So as a telemedicine physician manager, meaning I'm responsible for assessing the quality of care by other telemedicine physicians. The technology actually allows me to see every single thing that is said, every single thing that's asked, and every single thing that the patient answers. So I have the ability to evaluate the quality of those visits and figure out what we can do from a technological standpoint, but also from a provider standpoint to make sure that the right things are being asked and the right medicines are being given but in the clinic, I actually have no idea what goes on once that door's closed. I don't know what's being said. I don't know what's being asked. I know what shows up in the electronic medical record, but I don't have a way to verify the quality of what happens in that interaction between the doctor and the patient behind the closed door in clinic. That's, so that's I actually assert that, that the, the quality has the potential to be, if we do it right, better through virtual health because we can truly see what that interaction looks like and we can modify it through a ton of different ways, right? Making the tech better, making the questions better, making the treatment options better um, to, to have a really high standard of care. Now, that's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it that way. It does allow a lot of that information as it relates to did we do this right on the on the doctor side on the healthcare side and to analyze is there a better way or faster way more accurate way to do that and and data gives you that opportunity it may be early yet and i'm sure there's a lot of algorithms that need to be written to figure this out but uh, interesting i hadn't thought about that let let me ask do you think the scope of the services being provided through telehealth will will continue to expand absolutely and and we see that happening already I, I actually attended a convention last week up in boston and got to see behind the curtain a little bit but i think what's going to drive the forward movement of telehealth it's going to be the development of technology um just if i may give you an example one of the good ideas good ideas that's being thrown out right now is imagine if you had interactive video screens in the doctor's office. So let's say you have a, you know, a, a, and maybe an elderly patient or an older veteran, we'll say, who's going to a healthcare visit at their local VA. And maybe they want to dial in their daughter or son who lives half the country away. You can actually, from the office, 
include that person in the visit in an interactive way, share the medical record with the caregiver or the daughter or the son on the other side of the screen, and then have a more inclusive visit so that the entire family can participate and have shared knowledge. Oh, yeah. I mean, those are the types of things. How many of us have sort of said, mom, dad, I don't really think that's what the doctor said. And, right. You know, you weren't in the room, so you can't, you know, you lose the argument every time. But no, that's, yep. a, that's an, again, a great idea of where the melding of medicine and technology should get us better outcomes. Um, I think this is more personal experience from uh, the veterans I know who've been through the VA telehealth process. Uh, patient satisfaction is pretty high with this. I'm, I'm wondering, again, uh, from a industry standpoint, from a national standpoint, have you seen any um, reports on what patient satisfaction looks like when uh, telehealth is used? Yes, and I think there's a lot of factors to that because we are still in the process of what of how you define a good patient experience. For example, in the hospital, even small things like parking and wait times can can influence what is a good patient experience. And so I think we we're evolving this idea of what's a good patient telehealth experience. However, I do know that when when patients are responded to in a quick fashion, meaning they don't have to wait a long time, when we keep them in the loop. So if I send in an electronic prescription for a patient, they need to receive a notification that it has been sent and it needs to actually have been sent. So when they go to their pharmacy to pick up the medicine, it's there. Um, Also, patients need to be answered if they submit questions, even if it's a question that maybe the doctor doesn't have to answer and maybe a support person might answer it. There needs to be a quick, prompt, courteous, professional communication, and the patients need to be aware of every single step in the process. When we do that and we get that right, it is a fantastic experience for the patients. Yeah, as I said, I know a lot of vets uh, who, through the VA system, are using it, and while they were slow to like it in the beginning, having gone through it now, they go, wow, that was really the best. So I, I think it's winning people over. Um, and that, that has ripple effects elsewhere because they tell their friends, hey, this wasn't, you know, it was good to get in there and see them this way. And, blah, and so, uh, but a bad experience has the same impact, uh, uh, has a ripple effect. And, and you, it, we're talking to Laura Purdy, who's an Army veteran, did 14 years, got her, got her MD with, uh, through the uh, military system. Uh, she was a family medicine uh, physician for the Army. She's now uh, engaged in a process called uh, telemedicine manager with something called MD integrations. Tell us about MD integrations. Absolutely. So MD integrations, you've heard me talk a little bit about if we do it right. Right. If we do it right from a technology perspective, from a staffing perspective, because there because telemedicine is new and also telemedicine is exploding and growing exponentially from a business perspective, the companies that are trying to operate within the telehealth industry have a couple of problems that they run into. One is the efficiency of their technology 
And two is their ability to staff it from a doctor's level. And so um, MD Integrations is a, it's a telehealth platform for companies to use that want to become telehealth companies. So if you wanted to start a men's health company tomorrow, you could use MD Integrations and you'd never have to hire a doctor. You'd never have to write a medical policy and you wouldn't have to design your own technology because we do all that for you. Yeah, it's a whole back, sort of back office, backbone sort of approach. Yeah. Uh, its website is mdintegrations.com. If somebody wants to know more about uh, what this is kind of all about and maybe where telehealth uh, is going into the future. Um, I, I think one of the things we're all wondering about, too, in this area, maybe, uh, Laura, is patient security, right? So, so, so are my visits secure? Are my records secure? Um, can you talk to that as, as a little bit? Because it seems to me it might be a restrictor on adoption further if people don't feel secure about using the technology. Yes, and that is a question that, that is received quite often. But the, the great thing about electronic medical records is that electronic medical records that are in the hospital have the same sort of technical safeguards that allow for information privacy and security that internet-based electronic medical records do. For example, there are a lot of hurdles that have to be jumped through in order to make sure that the data privacy laws and the HIPAA, the healthcare um, information privacy laws in the United States are adhered to, and there are rigorous testing standards so in order to even qualify to transmit an electronic prescription, it's about a year-long process with several steps in the quality assurance process before any given company can even get permission to be able to send one prescription because they take security so seriously. And there are several levels of security testing that have to be passed and certifications such as LegitScript. SureScript and HITRUST, those are just a few certifications that these websites can get. So if you're a consumer of telehealth and you're going to a website, scroll down to the bottom of the page, these companies will, will post their certifications so that you can know that your healthcare information is kept private. Well, that's important to everybody and again, on everybody's mind. And I think certainly the maybe you know middle age and up consumers in particular are like well wait a minute i've heard some stories i do think there's probably a quicker adoption with folks who grew up with a smartphone in their hand from cradle um but but th i mean it's really still uh, an exploding or growing industry is isn't it laura yes in, in where do you think it's going to be in five years Everywhere. No, that's the short answer. I think I think that moving forward, what we're going to see is advances in technology. So you've heard of smart, you know, all the appliances that you can have in your home now are smart, smart fridge, smart washing machine, smart TV. And so medical devices are starting to become smart as well. Scales, blood pressure monitors, blood sugar monitors. Um, even like bed alarms and things like that, there's a movement 
towards how can we integrate in-person care using technology with, with telehealth to give people better care, especially in the aging population. And so I think there's going to be more attempts to reach those folks that maybe have not grown up with a, with a smartphone in their hands, um, but have more medical problems on average, the older someone is, they say you have one medical problem for every decade you are of age. So at least, and that's average. So we're trying to find ways using technology devices to allow folks to get more, they call it remote patient monitoring, which is a form of telemedicine, um, to not have to go in to see the doctor all the time. I think we're going to see freedom and some liberation of these constantly having to be at the doctor type of lifestyles where the telemedicine technology allows people to have more freedom. Well, that's great. That's very exciting. We really appreciate the time that uh, Army veteran Dr. Laura Purdy has provided to us to give us a peek at telehealth, where it is now and where where it's going. Laura, thanks for your time today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fossone. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, NVBDC.org, Eisenhower Center, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan. VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor. And the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. They keep us on the air, as does your support. Go to Facebook, go to veteransradio.net, and support our efforts. And until next time, you are dismissed. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.